Well, it is a real joy to be back with you after being gone on vacation uh, the last couple weeks. We're going back to our series of Proverbs that we're looking at Proverbs, uh, the first nine chapters over the summer while I'm here anyways. And we are this morning in the middle of Proverbs chapter six, uh, at the top of page 630, if you're using the church Bible. In this chapter, the father is warning his son about four kinds of fools, four ways that destroy the community, easy money, laziness, troublemaking, adultery. Each are ways of putting ourselves above others. In uh, the first uh, two types of fools hurt the community through their sins of omission. They don't do things that would benefit the community. They fail to contribute to society. Now in chapter 6, 12 through 35, we're going to be looking at this morning two types of fools who hurt the community through sins of commission, doing things actively that harm the community. I read Proverbs 6 all the way through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 35. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hand, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will walk, talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. But he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. This is God's word. Well, if you were here about a month ago before I was gone on vacation, we did the first part of this chapter and I didn't make it through the second part. But I got back and the more I thought about this, I really actually reworked everything and thought I want to focus in on the theme of the heart, which is prominent in the second half of this passage. Uh, the results are quite striking that the father warns about here. 
people who do things that the Lord hates, that are an abomination to him, people who are committing adultery, destroying families. That's quite severe stuff. And yet the Father warns that it begins in the heart. And so I want you to catch two strategies the Father gives to the Son and to us in this passage. Watch the heart, watch your heart, and guard your heart. First, in this chapter, the Father's teaching His Son, watch your heart. Watch your heart. Uh, In this chapter, we have portraits of different kinds of fools. Uh, What we're looking at this morning is a portrait of the troublemaker and the adulterer. But part of the Father's point in Proverbs 6 here is that there's more than one way to be a fool. There's more than one way to go astray, to get things wrong. And we each face temptations in different ways. We might be sitting here congratulating ourselves that we're not tempted to lust or commit adultery, thinking we're doing well, and yet be blind to our own temptation to pride, to bend the truth or stir up discord. These are all wrong things the Father calls out in this passage. There's numerous ways to be a fool, and each kind of folly, the Father says, begins in the heart. We see that in verse 14 and verse 18 and again in verse 25. We'll look at each of those in turn. And so the father is saying to the son, to respond wisely to temptation, you need to know yourself. You know, where lies, where temptation is going to you is not necessarily is weak. Watch arts to be aware of the temptations peculiar to us. So let's use these portraits of folly that the father gives us here as tools for self-examination. First, verses 12 and 15, through 15, and then 16 through 19, they both describe a, a, a fool that we could call the troublemaker, one who sows discord. In verse 12, the troublemaker is identified as worthless and wicked. You might recall that in the book of Proverbs, the wicked person is the one who puts themselves above the community. They disadvantage everyone else to advantage themselves. That's the wicked person. Now the father's saying that kind of person is actually worthless as far as the community is concerned. They're a drain on the community, right? They put themselves above everybody else and they drain from the community. And so literally the father says they profit nothing. This wicked troublemaker is characterized by his deceptiveness. He goes about with crooked speech and he winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. It's not exactly clear what that's all about. Uh, either maybe he's mocking behind someone's back, you know, pretending that he's their friend and yet behind their back he's giving dirty signals of some sort. Or he's scheming, scheming behind people's back. Either way, it's a deceptive way of living. And verse 14 says these schemes come from where? a twisted or perverted heart that devises evil. What's the net effect of the troublemaker? He continually sows discord. He plants conflict like a farmer plants seeds. In our family, we'd call this a pot stirrer, someone who's up trouble. But the father warns, the troublemaker will meet the end that he has earned. Sin has a boomerang effect. You you try and send out sin on others, and yet it comes back and hits you in the head. And so the worthless and wicked continually sow discord. They plot against their neighbors, and what is their end? 
calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond all healing. In verses 16 through 19, then, the the troublemaker is again criticized, but this time the criticism is rooted in God's own character. This way of acting is contrary to God's character, and so he hates it. It's an abomination to him. It's saying it's repulsive to God's character because it's the opposite. Uh, This little device, there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. It's a a literary device. Uh, Amos uses a similar pattern. He says, for three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke punishment. So it's this uh, X, X plus one. It's a sort of uh, literary device in Hebrew. The point here is that it's a list of very specific but not exhaustive things that are contrary to God's character. And so he hates them. The first part of the list is an anatomy of wickedness, saying the wicked are rotten head to toe. But then the list goes on and it covers attitudes, thoughts, speech, actions, and influence on others. Now, if we were going to sit down and brainstorm and draw up a list of the seven things we think God hates most, or seven things God hates, what what would you put on the list, I wonder? Perhaps some of the same items. Surely shedding innocent blood is a really bad thing to do. But listen again to what the Father says is contrary to God's character. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That puts our pride and our little white lies and our petty arguments in a new perspective, doesn't it? The list begins with haughty eyes because pride is most contrary to the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. A lying tongue deceives to harm others and benefit oneself. And then contempt for others and for the truth leads to a contempt and disregard for life itself, hands that shed innocent blood. And what's there right in the center of the list? At the center of the troublemaker is a heart that devises wicked plans. The heart is the center of the person. In the Bible, it stands for our thoughts and our feelings and our desires, what we might call our our, our inner life, our psychology, our spiritual life. The Father's warning here, heart attitudes like pride lead to scheming, wicked plans, which then emanate from the heart and affect the whole person. Indeed, this heart motivates feet that run or that make haste to run to evil. This troublemaker is zealous for evil. And then the list ends with two antisocial behaviors, perjury, uh, false witness that breathes out lies, and again, one who sows discord among brothers. So we see in this list seven ways of putting ourselves first, of disadvantaging others so we can get ahead. But both highlight in different ways the heart that devises evil and wicked plans. In both descriptions, the climax is is sowing discord, troublemaking, stirring up strife. These descriptions are the exact opposite of the sort of character God desires in his people. The wicked have haughty eyes, they're prideful, but Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
the wicked sow discord among brothers. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This list is sort of like an anti-beatitudes, the exact opposite. So watch your heart. What kind of character are you developing? Is it the kind that Jesus blesses or the kind of character that God hates? Now let's look for a moment at the second portrait here of the foolish adulterer in verses 24 through 35. Again, do you see in verse 25, it's the heart that leads to sin. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, with her gaze. Sin starts in the heart with our desires and our imagination. The battle line is drawn in the heart. If sin is to be defeated, temptation turned away, the heart must be won. The father doesn't deny that this is a beautiful woman, but he warns the son, watch your heart, lest noticing her beauty become the occasion for inappropriate desires. Now let's look briefly at the father's argument against adultery in verses 26 through 35. The father's argument here is striking for its bluntness, and at times that's what we need. I was uh, talking with a non-Christian friend this week, and, and he mentioned, I'm reading this book that says, uh, it's a secular book obviously, but, but says monogamy doesn't work, and so for marriages to be healthy, you occasionally have to have affairs, but they, as long as they're meaningless, it's good for your marriage. And I said, friend, uh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I used much <laughs> blunter language than that because sometimes you just have to call things as they are. So it's a warning we need. What does the father say? First, in verse 26, he's not endorsing prostitution, but he's saying, look, you could buy a prostitute for as little as a meal, but fooling around with a married woman will cost you your very, very life. How could it possibly be worth it? In 27 through 29, he anticipates the son's objection. It's like, son, you think you're going to get away with it? No, you're playing with fire. He says, can a man hold fire in his chest? It's literally lap. Uh, uh, there's a bit of a, a metaphor there, the, the burning in the loins or something like that. Can you hold fire in your lap and not get burned? Of course not. Can you walk on coals with bare feet and not have your feet burned? Of course not. Uh, he doesn't anticipate what about fire walkers, that kind of thing. But he's saying, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. In the same way, one who goes to his neighbor's wife, none who touch her will be unpunished. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. So watch your heart control your desires. Second then, in verse 30, the father says, look, if someone steals food to eat because they're hungry and they need it, when they're caught, they may have to pay a steep fine. It may cost them everything they have, but no one's going to despise them. They'll say, I understand. They stole because they needed to eat. We understand. But on the other hand, the father, uh, he's, he's not endorsing stealing, but he's saying, look, we understand. But on the other hand, the one who commits adultery lacks sense he who does it destroys himself. Literally, the Father says, you destroy your soul. You're taking apart your own spirit. The consequences are far more severe than stealing bread because you're hungry. He says, you'll get wounds and shame and disgrace that will not be removed. And the Father warns, adultery is an attack on the family. One of the foundations of the community itself. And so he's saying to put your own momentary gratification ahead of the good of the community as a whole is wickedness 
plain and simple. Even more, jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse even if you multiply gifts. A jealous husband's wrath is justified, deadly, and can't be turned away by bribes. So watch your heart. Control your desires. Okay, this path ends with wounds, dishonor, disgrace, and a furious husband. But it begins in the heart. As we see in this passage, the heart left unchecked can lead to pride, lying, violence, conflict, adultery, lust. So watch your heart. Johnny Cash reflects the wisdom of Proverbs when he sings, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. The English Puritan John Owen recognizes the same need. Uh, His language isn't quite as uh, uh, rhymy as Johnny Cash's, but... This is what Owen writes. Let him who would not enter into temptation labor to know his own heart, to be acquainted with his own spirit, his natural frame and temper, his lusts and corruptions, his natural sinful or spiritual weaknesses, that finding where his weakness lies, he may be careful to keep at a distance from all occasions of sin. To live wisely, we need to watch our hearts. We need to be self-aware. It's easy to confuse uh, personality with sanctification. Uh, Parents, this is easy. Some parents uh, struggle with losing their temper with their children. And it's easy to look at other parents who seem so calm and patient and think, well, they're just perfect parents. They have everything together. But maybe those other parents' temptation is to be overindulgent to their children. And they need to be a bit more strict or even at times lose their temper. There's various temptations to give up on disciplining your children in godly ways on both sides. And we need to be careful not to confuse personality with sanctification. Of course, this applies in all sorts of realms. In the Gospels, we see in Jesus' day a portrait of religious leaders who are scrupulous in their behavior, but they're haughty in their attitude, and it literally leads to shedding Jesus' innocent blood. Okay, if we're going to be serious about sanctification, about living right lives about resisting temptation, we need to watch our hearts. We need to make honest assessments of where our own personal weaknesses lie. You're being a fool if you deny that you have weaknesses. Wisely resisting temptation begins with self-awareness. But it doesn't end there. Knowing yourself alone is an important step in resisting temptation, But the Father gives a second instruction in verses 20 through 23, and it's right in the heart of the passage. And the point that he makes, his second instruction, is guard your heart. Guard your heart. The way of wisdom taught by the parents guards the heart and controls sinful desire. The son is called in verse uh, uh, 20 to keep the father's commands and not forsake the mother's teaching. That word is literally Torah, the word for the Pentateuch, um, uh, the law of Moses. Elsewhere in the Bible, these terms then are used for God's own commands, God's own word. And that's the point. Godly parents teach their children godly wisdom from God's word. And do you see there the key command in verse 21? It's not enough simply to hear godly teaching. 
You may have been brought up in a home where your parents taught you God's word, but that alone is not enough. In order to guard your hearts, you must take the commands and the teaching and bind them on your heart always. Secure godly teaching to your heart. Uh, uh, lash it down to the center of your being. Uh, down at uh, 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 Astoria, at the mouth of the Columbia River, it's, it's notorious for ships sinking. Uh, the, the waters are terrible there. And the Coast Guard actually has these rescue boats that they send out to rescue sailors that are designed to flip all the way over and right themselves. And the sailors on these boats, they have these harnesses that they lash to the two sides of the boat so that when it flips over, the sailors come back up with the boat. And that's the image the Father is saying here is, lash yourself, uh, God's commands, lash it to your heart so that whatever storms come, you're held firm to God's word. Let them be like a necklace for you. If these words sound familiar, it's because the Father keeps giving this strategy over and over through the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've already heard, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep them within your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Write my words on the tablet of your heart. The Father's teaching has to be internalized. So central to Proverbs is the importance of guarding your heart by storing up godly wisdom within. This godly teaching is for every area of life. Uh, the Father depicts life as a constant dialogue with godly wisdom. When you walk, they lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they talk with you. It's this life lived in constant dialogue with God's word. If you bind this teaching on your heart, the commandment is a lamp. The teaching is a light. And even the reproofs of discipline, the correction, is the way of life. This teaching illuminates the way that God watches over, the way to a full and abundant life. John Owen, uh, again picking up his discussion, uses this image. He says, our hearts are like forts or castles. And when temptation comes, it's like your castle is being sieged by an enemy. Well, how does a, how does a castle withstand a siege? It needs to be well-manned and furnished with provisions. You need lots of food to, to, to last the siege, right? This is a, a, maybe the Alamo is a good picture of this. You need to have provisions to last the attack. Well, what provisions do we lay up in our hearts? Uh, uh, Jesus teaches our hearts are a treasury where we lay up provisions against temptation. And those provisions, Owen says, are gospel provisions that do this work. That is, keep the heart full of a sense of the love of God in Christ. Here, Owen is profoundly insightful. He says we should store up the provisions of the law, uh, as he refers to them, uh, things like a fear of death and hell and punishment and the terror of the Lord. It's important to know these sorts of things. And the Father provides some of these provisions in Proverbs 6. He warns of sudden calamity, uh, wounds, dishonor, revenge, those sorts of things. But Owen notes these sorts of warnings will never stand alone against vigorous assaults of temptation. The heart stored with these warnings, these negative warnings, will struggle for a while, but will eventually give over to temptation. Sometimes we need these blunt reminders that lustful desires will kill you, that prideful attitudes lead to destruction. But negative warnings only get us so far. How then do we guard our hearts against temptation? Listen to, uh, listen to Owen's words here. Store the heart with a sense of the love of God in Christ. 
get a relish of the privileges we have, our adoption, justification, acceptance with God. Fill the heart with the thoughts of the beauty of his death, and you will, in an ordinary course of walking with God, have great peace and security as to the disturbance of temptation. What's he saying? I mean, he writes in Shakespeare's day. What's he saying? He's saying our disordered desires, our lustful desires, are ultimately driven out by ordered desires, by right desires. The inappropriate desire for the beauty of another who is not your spouse is driven out by desire for the true beauty of the Lord. This is what David talks about in Psalm 27. He says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Owen says, if we practice communion with Christ in the good things of the gospel, pardon of sin, fruits of holiness, hope of glory, peace with God, joy in the Holy Spirit, dominion over sin, we will have a mighty preservative against all temptations. So how do we guard our hearts? By filling them with godly teaching, not just negative warnings about foolish ways that lead to destruction, but with the positive truths of the gospel with the promises of good news. Memorize them to fortify your heart and bring them out when temptation seizes, sieges you. Promises like this, John 6, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And when temptation comes, you say, I believe in Jesus. Therefore, I have eternal life. John 10, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And when temptation comes, you say, through you, Jesus, I have abundant life. 1 Thessalonians 1, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And when temptation comes, you say, I am loved by God and chosen by him. Colossians 1, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the sort of provision that helps us to withstand temptation, to say, Christ is in me. He is the hope of glory. So we meet temptation with thoughts of faith. Owen says, meditating on Christ on the cross in the moment of temptation is taking up the shield of faith. Laying hold of Christ crucified, his love given to you, and what he suffered for your sin. Let your temptation be what it will, be it unto sin, to fear, or doubting, even about your state and condition, it is not able to stand before faith lifting up the standard of the cross. So the Father calls us in this passage, uh, Proverbs calls us to reflection. And so I end by, by asking some questions for self-examination. Where are you on the way of wisdom? Do you watch your heart? Are you aware of what temptations you in particular are prone to? Do you know what your peculiar weaknesses are? As we've seen in Proverbs, wisdom is applying God's truth to every area of our lives, including our hearts. And we could say every area of our hearts. Do you need to spend time investigating your heart this week, seeking self-understanding? And second, are you guarding your heart? Friends, you will face temptation. 
Being a Christian isn't about escaping from ever facing temptation, but facing it well. And so, like a castle under siege, the question is, are you prepared for temptation? Are you prepared to face temptation with wisdom? If it's uh, pride, twisting the truth, stirring up strife, lust after beautiful women, whatever it is, are you prepared to face that temptation? Are you filling your heart up with gospel treasures, with God's promises? Maybe this afternoon you need to write down some of these gospel promises to work on memorizing, to store up treasures, provisions in your heart to bring forth when temptation comes. Let's close with a moment of self-reflection and then prayer. Lord, our hearts are indeed deceitful above all things, and even when we try and examine our own hearts, uh, our hearts try and squirrel away uh, hidden weaknesses. And yet you search our hearts and you reveal to us where we are weak, uh, where we need fortified, where we need to prepare to face temptation. Lord, let us in humility be frank and honest with ourselves about our own weaknesses, that we might prepare well for temptations that come. And Lord, let us guard our hearts by storing up within our hearts the glorious truths of the gospel that Christ our Savior was given because you loved us, that he gave his own life that we might have life and life abundantly. Let this true beauty of Christ's gospel be ever before our eyes, driving out inordinate desires. Lord, as we gaze on your beauty, as David puts it in the Psalms, may our hearts be transformed. Amen. Let's rise to our feet and we're going to sing together hymn 4.